today in the course of the past 10 years. We have certainly become familiar with the terms radical jihadist or radical Islam. The term radical can have a positive or a negative connotation. Negatively, it's used as someone who in his or her passion and commitment to a cause or belief ignores all law, ignores the rights of others and even the lives of others. They become the standard in themselves for what is right and wrong. We've seen this not only in radical Islamists but in radical pro-life people who bomb clinics and kill doctors who perform abortions. But positively, there's a positive connotation of the term radical. It's used of those who are passionate and committed to a belief or a cause, but express their commitment within the framework of respect for law and the rights of others. They may be willing to put their own well-being or their own life at risk, but not that of others. And history has often been changed by such radical people. You think of the Reformers and how they courageously stood up for the doctrines of sola scriptura and justification by faith alone. You think of the abolitionists. You think of Martin Luther King. Well, when we look into Scripture, some would immediately suggest, well, Jesus is a radical. Well, He's not passionate about a cause. He is the cause. (laughs) And so he doesn't fit my image, so to speak. But the quintessential radical in Scripture got to be the Apostle Paul. No doubt about it. Well, as we continue in our study of Acts today, we come to another individual, less well-known than Paul. We come today to Stephen. Now, most most know Stephen as the first martyr of the church. But this week, as I've studied this passage in preparation for today, I've gained a new respect and a new appreciation for Stephen. I'd always read the story of Stephen, you know, and thought, wow, this is cool. There's a guy who preached about Jesus, and, you know, he, he was put to death for his faith. You know, and that, that was about it. He was just preaching Jesus, and he was, they didn't like it, and they stoned him. And, you know, that's certainly part of it, and that's significant. But Stephen is more than that. Stephen is more than that. Stephen, I believe, had such a radical vision for God's purposes in Jesus. And and, and that was what they couldn't handle. That's what they couldn't stand. Okay? He has an understanding and a vision of God's redemptive purposes for the world. And and that's what is significant. It goes, I think his understanding at this time, goes beyond even what possibly the apostles understood. And it is right here in our passage for the first time that God's redemptive purposes for the world begin to actually take shape and move from what was provided for the redemption of the world in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus 
and not, then the formation of the early church. And now, it's beginning to move beyond that. <clears throat> and it is Stephen who boldly asserts this, which will ultimately cost him his life. So it is this issue, the gospel going to the world, that Stephen radically proclaimed and for which he gave his life. But because of Stephen and many others like him, we today are worshiping the God of Israel, the one true God. So, I've entitled this passage today, Stephen the Radical. We're looking at Acts chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 8 through 15. And we're continuing, if you're here for the first time today, we're continuing in our exposition of the book of Acts, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, all the way through, and we come today to chapter 6, beginning at verse 8. And this is really, what we're going to look at today, is really the first part of the story of Stephen, and today we have Stephen's arrest. Okay, Next week, it's chapter 7, verses 1 through 53. I mean, that's a lot of verses, but that is Stephen's defense after he is arrested. And then after that, we have Stephen's death and the that which results from his death. So Stephen's story, his message, his life is ultimately, it's about God's love and God's redemptive purposes for the world. And that's what I hope that we'll be able to see today. All right, let's set up the context here. We were introduced to Stephen last week as one of the seven selected to assist the apostles in the ministry of the early church. Remember, there's a problem with the widows. Some of them weren't being served their food. The apostle says, we don't want to take time away from our ministry of the Word, so select seven people, and, and they did. And Stephen was one of them that was selected to be a part of that. And what we have seen so far in the early church is that it had experienced expansive and explosive growth in Jerusalem. Luke has told us several times that multitudes were coming to the faith. <clears throat> Up to this point, though, this is, gets where it, where it becomes significant. Up to this point, this early church, these followers of Jesus and, and so on, the, it is only looked upon or seen as simply a sect of Judaism. Now, in some ways, it's a threat to the establishment, and we saw, we, we looked at that in, in, in previous studies. But none, nonetheless, it was simply contained, it was seen to be contained within Israel and part of the religion of Israel, <coughs> excuse me, part of Judaism. But God's purpose was for the message of redemption in Christ to go to the whole world. That was, his, that was his purpose from the outset, to go to the whole world, to go to the nations, to go to the Gentiles. Now, for us today, sitting here today as we are, this is a no-brainer. Okay, well, of course it's going to go to the nations. You know, that's why, you know, for God so loved the world and, 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 and everything. And so we see it so clearly. But at that time, in history... The idea to take a message like that 
to the nations was radical. It was radical. Now, Jesus had commissioned them to go into the world, but it was one thing to hear about it, and it was another thing to understand it and embrace it and actually begin to do it. I mean, it, it was just, I don't know any other word than just, it was just radical. And so that thrust of the message of the redemption in Christ to go beyond Jerusalem is now beginning. And that's what Luke begins to tell us now in his narrative of the early church, beginning here in chapter 6 and beginning with Stephen. That's what we're going to see. And this is we want, what we want to look at today. All right, let's look at the passage. The min- we begin with the ministry of Stephen in verses 8 and 9. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and argued with Stephen. All right, Luke describes Stephen here as full of grace and power. Now, earlier in chapter 6... In the passage we looked at last week, in the selection of the seven, the requirement for to be considered for that position, they said, select men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom. And so Stephen was one of those that was selected. He met that criteria. And then when Luke names those who were selected, he starts out with Stephen. And he describes him as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And here he tells us that he was full of grace and power. I mean, what a description of this man, Stephen. We see him as a man of extraordinary spiritual maturity and Christ-likeness and the presence of the Spirit of God upon him, truly filled with the Spirit. And I love Luke's expression here. He says, he was full of grace and power. You see, there was anointing upon Stephen that was very similar to the apostles that enabled him to perform these miracles, signs and wonders among the people. But it's not just power, it's grace and power. And so his manner, his approach, his speech was that of grace, graciousness. Not promoting himself, or his gifts, or drawing attention to the power. But he ministered in that way with compassion and with love. And it it just he's characterized here full of grace with this power. So we see him that he was among the people proclaiming the message about Jesus. And when he would proclaim the message about Jesus The purpose of the signs and wonders was to authenticate the message and the messenger. And so he carried on, as he carried on this ministry, opposition arose. Luke says, some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen. Okay, again, let me go back to last week. Remember last week, there was division among the widows between the... uh, widows of the Palestinian Jews, the Hebrews, and the Hellenistic Jews, okay? And the Hellenists were Jews who were born and raised in other lands outside of Israel, but now had returned to live in Israel, to live in Jerusalem. 
That's who these people are. That's what the synagogue of the freedmen refers to basically a synagogue of Hellenist Jews. That's, that's what it is. Okay? Jewish men who had been slaves in other parts of the Roman Empire, but now who had gained their freedom and returned to live in Jerusalem. And in this synagogue of Hellenistic Jews, there were those from Cyrene, which is Africa, Alexandria, which was Egypt, and some from Cilicia, which was the northeast Mediterranean, and Asia, which probably means more Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. So these, <coughs> and, and we believe from last week again, that Stephen was probably a Hellenistic Jew as well, okay, by, because of his name. It's a Greek name. Okay, So he was more inclined, therefore, to minister in that sphere, speaking to these Jewish people. And as he did so, Luke says, they rose up and argued with Stephen. They disagreed vehemently with what Stephen was preaching. Now, we've seen in Acts opposition from the religious leadership the Sadducees and the high priests. Because to them, the movement about Jesus and being the Messiah and such, it was a threat to their power. The Pharisees, when we go back to our study in the Gospel of Luke, the Pharisees opposed Jesus because he didn't follow their traditions. But the opposition to Stephen here is something else. Okay, Let's look at it and see what it might be. First, and then we look at the plot against Stephen in verses 10 through 12. Yet they were unable to cope with the wisdom <coughs> and the spirit with which he was speaking. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Stephen's message was so thoroughly grounded in what we would refer today as Old Testament, but in Scripture, and so totally anointed of God that his opponents could not refute what he said. He made his case so convincingly. They had no substantive rebuttals or arguments against what he was saying. And so they devised a plot to silence him. They couldn't refute him. So they said, we've got to shut him up. Okay? Verse 11. So they, so they secretly induced some men to say... We have heard and speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and dragging him, dragged him away and brought him before the council. We're not, just, we're not told yet just exactly what Stephen was saying or preaching. The accusation here is that he was speaking blasphemous words against Moses and against God. He was speaking disrespectfully in their minds and seditiously with respect to Moses and the Old Testament law and also with respect to God. We're still not told just what he had said. But they were successful, those of that synagogue who were opposed to him as he was ministering among the people, they were successful in arousing the anger of the people, the common people, against him. And this is a change. Because up to now, the people, the use of that term, the people, they had been 
largely favorably impressed with the new Christian message and the Christians. So what's different now? That they would suddenly be so angered against what Stephen was saying. We knew the religious establishment was angry at what the apostles were preaching. But the people kind of liked it. But now the people are angry and turning against Stephen. What's different? <clears throat> well, there was so much hostility towards Stephen, towards Stephen that in mob fashion, they dragged him before the Jewish high council. Now, let's look at the charges against him. <clears throat> Verse 13, And they put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against the holy place and the law. Okay, the holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene, Jesus, will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. These are the charges that are brought against Stephen. And this is where we learn the significance of what he was saying. Now, Luke says they put forward false witnesses. Now, does that mean that they just made up stories about anything and, and brought them as a charge before the council? I, I don't think that was probably the case. I think the witnesses that were put forward conveyed in some measure what Stephen was saying, but they didn't understand it, they didn't agree with it, so they distorted it to create a case against him. So what were the charges? Let's first of all look at the charge. This man incessantly doesn't quit preaching, in other words, that's all he talked about, against this holy place and the law. Now, the holy place, what is that? That's the temple. Okay? And the law of course, is the Old Testament law of Moses. Now, in verse 11, what we just looked at, they said he speaks blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So if, if Stephen was saying something against the law, he would be speaking against Moses. And if he was saying something with respect to the holy place, the temple, it would be against God because that was God's unique dwelling place in Israel. And so the charge is basically this. This man is speaking seditiously and disrespectfully about Moses and the law, about God and the temple. Okay, that's, now, what's the basis of the charge? Well, that's verse 14. Okay, we have the charge. Now, the basis of that. We have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. That's the basis for the charge that he's speaking against the law, speaking against Moses and against God, against the law. They are saying that Stephen has said that Jesus will destroy the temple and do away with the law of Moses. True or false? Is this, is this an accurate statement of what Stephen would have said? We need to be careful here.
it is false in the sense that in which they understood it or are spinning it or you know the way they're putting it it's not like Jesus is anti-Israel and is therefore going to do away with all things Jewish as if he's another imposing power coming upon Israel. That's, that's not the idea. But there is truth in these words. Remember from Luke, Jesus had said, the temple will be destroyed, not one stone will be left standing on another. He had predicted the destruction of the temple, and that would be the judgment of God on Israel for having rejected him. But he also said, if you destroy the temple, I will raise it in three days. He made that statement, which John says he was speaking of the temple of his body, okay, which referred to his resurrection, that he would be raised in three days. But now, the temple of his body may be understood by Stephen as the body of believers that God is creating. God will no longer dwell in a brick and mortal temple, but in the temple of His people. And the worship of God will no longer be through the animal sacrifices, but the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus, the spiritual worship of His people, bringing the sacrifice of praise. And so, it's very possible that Stephen saw that God was creating a new spiritual temple that would be the body of believers and that the temple in Jerusalem would no longer be necessary. But what about when he says altering the customs of Moses? Well, there is no doubt that Jesus showed the error of the traditions of the Pharisees with respect to the law. But now, Stephen is beginning to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the ceremonial law of Moses. And all of the sacrifices detailed and outlined and prescribed in the Old Testament are now fulfilled in Jesus. And therefore, they are no longer needed. And he is beginning to understand that God is now calling a people to Himself from all nations that will not be under the yoke of the law of Moses. And so I think this is what Stephen is really saying here, that one day God will no longer be limited to Israel to the God of Israel in the temple in Jerusalem, but will be a God of all people and will dwell among all people. And now the law has been fulfilled in the death of Jesus, and it is therefore no longer necessary. Let's look at verse 15. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. As the council brought these charges against him, Stephen now prepares to respond. Luke says they saw his face like the face of an angel. His countenance was transformed. We can't help but think of Moses 
coming down from Mount Sinai after spending those 40 days with God. And his face was aglow with the glory of God. And I think that's maybe something similar going on here. Stephen's face is visibly transformed, showing that he was speaking the truth of God in the words that he is about to say. And so then, in chapter 7, he begins his defense. It's, he doesn't refute the charges brought against him, but he explains them and defends them. And that's what we want to look at next week. But what about today, though? What is there in this passage for us today from Stephen? Well, the significance of Stephen's message is that he understood, and as I said, possibly even more than did the apostles at this point, that God's purpose in redemption was for the whole world. It was not just for Israel. For 1,400 years, you know, they had been the people of God. They and no others. We are God's people. They're not. But now God is beginning to do a new and different work. And Stephen, I think, began to understand this. And that's the significance of doing away with the temple and the law of Moses. Those were institutions that were distinctively Jewish and were a barrier to other people. They were excluded by virtue of the law of Moses and the temple. But Stephen saw God's purposes extending beyond Israel to the nations. And this was radical. This message was hated by the Jews. As I said before, you know, it's a no-brainer for us that the message of the gospel would go to the Gentiles, go to the nations. But for the Jewish people at that time, it was scandalous that that would be what God is doing. They couldn't understand how after all these centuries of being His people, now is He setting them aside? And how could He do that? And the temple and the law and all of this. But this is what Stephen understood. And for this message, He will be put to death. But as the story of Acts unfolds, we see that this is exactly what is taking place. Notice. First we have Stephen preaching that God is going to the nations. It's almost like he's laying a theological foundation for it. Then we have Philip going to Samaria. And then he's going to the Ethiopian. Then we have the conversion of Saul, who will be God's instrument to the Gentiles. And then we have that incident with Cornelius and Peter, where God has to so clearly instruct Peter that the law is now set aside and and, and the Gentiles can come to God as Gentiles. And so we see that this transition from Israel to the nations is now beginning to take place. And, you know, this may seem like ancient history and boring theology for us. Yeah, I know, okay, that's interesting, but, you know. But what we see here in Stephen, and what we see in the following events in Acts, as I've just outlined, is nothing other than the love of God. It is the heart of God 
for the world, at work in the world. And God's heart is for the salvation of the world. The salvation provided for in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is to be taken to the world and is now being taken to the world for the first time. This is what God is all about. You know, for almost three years we've been looking at the Gospel of Luke and now into the book of Acts. And the title of this series for Luke and Acts, as they're Luke's two-volume work that he wrote together, the title for this series has always been, it's in, on your bulletin cover again today, God's Redemption of the World. God's Redemption of the World. And this is God's purpose. In the Incarnation, beginning way at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke with the Incarnation, the birth of Jesus. It's His purpose in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. It's His purpose in the formation of the new community of His people, those who believe in Jesus as the Son of God and the Savior. His purpose is the salvation of the nations. For God so loved the world. And Stephen begins to give voice to this eternal saving purpose of God. And what this means for us? If this is God's eternal redemptive purpose, if this is the love of God and this is the heart of God, then we need to make sure that we're aligned with God's purposes. That we are involved in the work of God in the world. You don't have to be a missionary, although maybe God would even raise up and call some from among us to serve God in other places in distant lands. But whatever you do, make sure that you are involved. And we as a people join together to be involved in the work of God in the world. Stephen was a radical he was so passionately committed to that redemptive purpose of God going to the nations that it cost him his life. We need to be radicals. Passionately committed to the heart of God and to the work of God in the world even at a cost to ourselves. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, again, we thank You for Your Word that You've given to us, preserved for us, and from which we see today, Lord, another glimpse of Your heart, another glimpse of the, of the work that You have done and yet even are doing in the world. A glimpse of Your glorious redemptive purposes in sending Your Son to this earth and then raising up a people in your name to carry on that work. Father, it's our prayer today that we would be numbered among the faithful, that we as a church, that we as individuals here would be among those faithful who are seeking your heart, <clears throat> are seeking your purposes in the world, to bring that message of redemption to the nations. We 
pray that you might accomplish this work among us. In Jesus' name, amen.